Welcome to Teesside Vineyard Church. We hope you enjoy our lockdown podcast series. Okay, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real privilege. You are more than welcome. Thanks for making the time. Um, And why don't you do two things for us? Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what you do? And also, why don't you tell everyone what the podcast is going to be about? Great. All right. I think I'd probably find that more um, tricky than the actual podcast. So I'm Lauren, Lauren Haar, and I am part of the leadership team for Church East 20 in East London which is a privilege and a joy. And I have my roots within Vineyard and they are such a blessing to the body of Christ. Um, It's a joy to be part of this podcast today. We're going to be looking at one of my greatest passions, well, the greatest passion, which is the Bible and what that is and what it means to us. And hopefully delve into some big questions like, is it relevant or how can we read it or what parts of it do we struggle with? And I think it makes for an exciting conversation. Thanks, Lauren. Um, I, I, one of the reasons why I asked Lauren to, to join me on this podcast is I remember we, we spent quite a bit of time when we were both at Highway Vineyard and, and we talked quite sensibly about the Bible. And it's something which we were both really passionate about. And, and we really wanted the, the passion that we have for the Bible, for the Word of God, to be something which we could communicate uh, through the podcast as well. Um, so, obviously, as someone who has spent many hours studying the Bible, yeah. Lauren, could I ask you what might seem like quite a simple, straightforward question, but what actually is the Bible? It might seem a very straightforward and simple question, but I have a BA and an MA and nobody really took the time to answer that for me and I had to find that out myself um, in terms of church and I would like to answer it in two ways and firstly the bible is a big story that reveals to us what it means to be truly human and secondly the bible is God speaking to each of us so for me it works on both the corporate level of what it means to be truly human and a personal level of what God is saying to us about who he is and who we are. Um, but what I want to emphasize really is that the Bible is a fluid piece of literature and that each part of it relates to one another. It's a journey. And that's the two sections that I was saying. Along that journey, we see who God is and who we are in him. And we also see the kingdom of God and what it is for God to rule and reign. So that's That's it, really. really. Um, (laughs) No, that is that's that's a great, great response. I think it's really interesting, actually, because that is very much what the the last couple of series that we've been looking at as a church has all been about and how the Bible really tells of that journey of the kingdom um throughout so yeah thank you thank you for that answer um and and kind of leading on from that um obviously we we kind of would get a bit of an idea of what the bible is about um it's so massive and it's so vast and and there's so much in there 
are there certain ways that you would sort of encourage people to read the Bible um, or kind of maybe if we're going to be a bit more specific, perhaps more importantly, in what way should we not use or apply the Bible? What are the kind of pitfalls that may lead to misinterpretation or kind of lead us down bad routes? Okay, well, firstly, the Bible is not meant to be read in segments or as moral teachings or as a guidebook. It's meant to be read fluidly. And now I am from people here like N.T. Wright, who would say that you can split the Bible into five sections. And I absolutely agree, but I think you've got to see those themes running through it of the kingdom. Um, so you can have it in five acts. So God's good creation. And then, you know, how he comes into humanity and how we choose our own way as the second act. And the third act is the story of God's chosen people, Israel, and how they were supposed to be the light of God to the world. And the fourth act is God in the person of Jesus and how he draws that story of Israel to a high point and a close and does what only Jesus could do as the Redeemer and inaugurates that kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that we saw in that first act before we turned away from it ourselves. And then from that fourth act, we can start to see that inauguration of the kingdom of God coming through and that time in which we live, that exciting time. Because being a Christian biblically is really thrilling and really exciting. And then the final act, which isn't an ending at all, it's a beginning. And it's a beginning of God's new creation with his full rule and reign on this earth. But we'll not see that fluid story if we limit it and if we limit God's word by saying, I'm going to read 10 verses of this and I'm going to look at this theme. And I'm not saying that, let me be very clear, there's not a place for academic learning or for looking at this particular word in Greek or looking for that meaning. But I think you have to have both. And I think it's important mm. to challenge ourselves and to read the books as they were intended. So the Gospels were heard in one go. Paul's letters were read in one go. And I think sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to read the Gospel of John and taking the time to read it and to not limit what we think it is. Because I don't know about you, Ross, but I didn't know what was the last novel you read, but I didn't sit down and read different sections of it. I, I read mine from mm. beginning to end. I don't know. Have you read one recently? Um, I do you know what I don't tend to read novels. I can't remember the last time I read a novel. I'm I'm reading The Great Divorce by um, C.S. Lewis at the moment. Because I do you know what I, I'm because I <laughs> I do dip in and out of books. So okay. I'm completely <laughs> undermining your point. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, but I have a tendency to look look at books and kind of p pick. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm completely undermining your no, point here. Fine. Ignore me. Carry on. No, I'm ruining you're not it. reading a story or a narrative in that. No. But in no. general, it would be very hard to follow it. And I'm coming into it from a vineyard perspective. I think this is a really good analogy. And it's one that vineyard uses a lot. Um, like if you were having friends around to watch a film, for example, and everyone's there and then somebody turns up unexpectedly and they come in. How annoying is it when all they do for the next 20 minutes is say, who is that? Why are they angry? What have I missed? And they don't understand. 
And it's because they yeah. picked it up halfway through and therefore it doesn't make sense to them. And even if mm. you can string parts of the film together, they're not getting it in the fullness of it. They won't understand it in the way that the people who watched it from the beginning did. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say here. Allow the Bible to be what the Bible is. It's an overarching fluid narrative in which feeds one another that we join and get to be part of. So I would encourage people to read it from beginning to end. And I think it takes like three or four pages a day for a year and you've done it. And I think that, yes, that can seem a bit of a challenge, but it's not that much time out of your day. And you know, your reward is a, a relationship with God and hearing God's voice and eternal life. So I think if we put it into perspective, three or four pages a day is manageable. Mm. That that's that's really really helpful. What I, what I'm going to do? Sorry, because I'm going to skip over one of the questions and come back to it later, because I think that really feeds into what I was going to ask later on. But and that that comes if if we're working our way through the yeah. Bible, um, as you suggested, there can sometimes be a tendency to avoid certain parts of Scripture that perhaps don't fit into uh, our, our modern way of thinking or or maybe just things that, what, that we look at and we really, really struggle with. Um, and, and maybe, if, particularly if we're kind of going from beginning of Genesis to, to the end and we haven't kind of really grasped who Jesus is yet, how how do we how do we grapple with those bits of the bible which feel sort of cruel or feel harsh or or kind of just really difficult for us to get our heads around absolutely i've definitely been there and um i think for me the first time i really struggled with parts of the bible both old testament and new was when i first went to university and the first thing um that we had to do I was doing biblical studies was just to sit and read it and there are parts that you think this is atrocious <laughs> like what are people doing to one another and for me the worst section was Genesis chapter 19 and it's when two angels um, go to Sodom before it's destroyed and actually there's a commentary and I'm sorry Ross I can't think it off the top of my head and it's quite a traditional old commentary now that actually advised people not to read it because it was so offensive. Um, but what I would say is the reason that these accounts are here is because this is an account of humanity. So I think at the beginning of this, I talked about how the Bible shows us what it is to be truly human. Now to be truly human is to be made in the image of God, to be his image bearers, to be carriers of his kingdom. But as I said in the second act, we, we turn away from God and we choose our own way and other kingdoms come into play and God is not a tyrant. We have a choice. And so what we see is both the depths and heights of humanity. And I think all we have to do is look at the news to see that humans are flawed and there is darkness and there is deceit and that's what makes the Bible so important. It records humans and God. 
So there are huge swathes of it where we choose our own way. And much of the Old Testament is cyclical of Israel being in God and away from God. And there are sections of the world that were not in relationship with God. And so we see these kingdoms at war. And I think it's important to say, just because something's in the Bible does not mean that God condones it. It means it is a history book as well as poetry and other types of writing, but it is a history book of humanity that spans time. And so the evil that has entered into our world is played out in the narrative that runs through it. So if we look at Genesis 19, just to highlight the point, when they come to the door where Lot is saying in verse 8, it says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out to you, and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. So they, he gives his daughters a way to be raped knowingly to protect these men. And that, to me, is not something I can fathom or understand, but we cannot sit here and say that evil does not exist. And so we need to be aware of that when we place it into a context of who God is and what his answer to that darkness is. And that is what the Bible is. It is teaching us what the option out of darkness is and how we have been delivered out of that darkness into his glorious light and how the option of light is there for all of us. But we can't shy away from pretending that the darkness is here also. Is that an answer? That that is that is a great answer, um, yeah. I, I think that's that's really really helpful. Just as a side, how would you? Sorry, cause I I haven't sent this question on to you previously, but how would you deal with sections of the Bible where they're kind of just a bit boring, and we're talking about yeah. like lists okay. and things like that? Okay. What, do do we skip over them? How how do we how do we? Okay, there's work a beauty in a list. Let's turn to Matthew. I think. Let me have a little. This is the importance of always having your Bible with you. No, don't rock up to church without one. <laughs> so, chapter one, Matthew. That is a list. But what? I mean, I've sat there and I was like, oh, maybe in verse six, and Jesse begat David, and David the king, and David the king begat Solomon. I mean, that's quite interesting. It makes me think, oh, I know that story. But then it carries on and I don't know mm. who anybody is again. So why would that list be here? When all I'm thinking is, can we get to chapter two? Because then Jesus arrives mm. and, it, and, you know, it all gets going. But there's a beauty to this, Ross. What Matthew is doing is saying, look where we've come from. Because before the New Testament, there's 500 years of silence. And Jesus is going to speak into that silence, but he's rooting who Jesus is into the history that the Jewish people knew. He's drawing on the Old Testament. He's saying, this is what we've been waiting for. Let me just go back to my point of read the whole book, because otherwise when Jesus says, like, the kingdom of God is here, like, it's happening, you've no idea what's going on. But Matthew here is using a list to prepare you for what is to come. He's rooting us in the history of the Old Testament and in the culture into which Jesus is going to step. Brilliant. 
really helpful. Now, here, here's the big mm-hmm. question, because I think I know what you're asking <laughs> going to, to this question. And I kind of I know what my answer is as well. And so I don't know why I'm asking the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is the Bible still relevant? Because that is a big question that people have. Obviously, it, it spans thousands of years. But is it still relevant for today? Is all of it relevant for today? Or is just some of it relevant for today? And how do we apply it? If it is relevant. Okay, big, big stuff. I think we agree. Um, Yes, is the short answer. It's exceptionally relevant. I mean, we've spoken today a lot about, you know, how human beings are image bearers of God, how he steward his kingdom. But this impacts the core of who we are. So you could say, absolutely, I don't live 2,000 years ago. I don't live in the Middle East. I live in Teesside. I don't walk the streets of Palestine. I walk around Bow. Like, I don't write on papyri. I have an iPhone. What does this mean? But it doesn't just speak to how we communicate. It speaks to why we communicate. It speaks to the core of being a human. And I would say that as long as people are lonely, as long as people desire a purpose, as long as people are relational, as long as there are issues such as homelessness, like this is what the Bible speaks into. It speaks directly into the core of who we are. It impacts the purpose of our lives. It impacts the politics of our world. I mean, another way of putting it is to say, it explains why we care for what we care for. So if we look at, for example, Prince William last week starting his Earthshot Prize on the creation of, um, sorry, you can hear my baby's music in the background. Um, If we look at um, the Earthshot Prize, it's to save us from global warming and it's 50 prizes for those 50 ideas as far as I understand. So when we all look at the world, we know this world is broken. And we're all trying to fix it. We know that global warming is a problem and that hurts us and we got it. What the Bible tells us is why we are concerned for it. And if it was broken, was it good in the first place? So it answers those big questions that motivate most of the politics of our society. And it also answers the question of why am I here? Do I have a purpose? Do I belong? Am I loved? And I think what I want to say to you is the overarching answer to that last question is yes, you absolutely are loved. Yes, you have a purpose. Yes, there is a reason that you walk this earth. And yes, it's broken, but I've already fixed it. And to me, that is what gives me hope and drive and a reason to live and a reason to love others because God first loved me. And I would encourage everyone to just take the time and let him speak to you through his word because it is the most relevant thing that you will do. It's more relevant than anything I can imagine. You, you are passionate yeah. about the Bible, aren't you? <laughs> 
It's the reason that I get up. Wow. Do you not just sort of like feel like, oh, I've had enough sleep now, I'm going to get up? i enough sleep. I have... No, no um, fair enough. But no, because I think the first thing you want to do in the morning is worship the Lord and thank him for the life that you have. But I wouldn't have the privilege of being in relationship with God if I didn't know who he was. And like... I don't know about you, Ross, mm-hmm. but like, I know who my husband is because he speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I know who he is because over many dates and um, walks in the park, he told me about his childhood and how he came to be the person he was. And then we went on adventures together. And that's what built our relationship and continues to strengthen our marriage is communication. Mm-hmm. But first I had to know who he was. And that's exactly the same as with the Bible. I learn who God is because I see how he forms his relationship with me. I learn of how history and humanity have come to this point. So I learn of who he is and who I am. And then as I sit and meditate on his word, I allow him through his spirit to speak to me. So it changes from this text that could be seen as dead and cold and a history book or a guidebook into the living word because we invite the spirit into it. So it's never just a book. It's always so much more than that. It's life-giving. And if it's life-giving, then I need it. It's not just that I want it. I need it. Mm. I I think you touched on something really important there with the, um, it's through the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That it becomes Mm. life-giving and it stops being words on a page or, or something which is uh, from a sort of like scholarly perspective, like something very, very interesting, um, it becomes, like you said, it becomes life-giving. It becomes something which nourishes us and, and grows us and, and, and develops us. Um, yeah, no, thank you for that. Amazing. What... Sorry, I think we've got a bit oh, of a delay. Oh, no, I Say said again, thank sorry. you for phrasing it better. That was a brilliant summary. I don't, I don't think I'll phrase it any better. Um, I, I, as we just kind of like, we're going to kind of start to, to wind down. And I just want to kind of come to this last question. And it's kind of inviting you to just share what your favorite part of scripture is. What What is the part of scripture? And it might be for any reason. It might be because this is a part of scripture which you keep coming back to because it's you you kind of have to really wrestle with it because it's difficult or it might be a piece of scripture which you keep coming back to because it is always so life-giving or it holds specific promises um which you you find that you just keep coming back to because they're just so amazing and so encouraging for you but if you had maybe one or or two pieces of scripture which you kind of would love to buy um and and share that would be i think i mean thank you for that question it's a beautiful question um i think i have to talk about a struggle that i think i've had for i don't know maybe it started about 15 years ago and it centers around two different pieces of scripture and what i found to be seemingly conflicting so romans 328 and james 217 um, so my BA was in biblical studies, but my dissertation was on justification by faith. And I, to summarize it, um, 
very much focuses upon Luther's work on justification by faith alone, which for many people is taken by scripture, however that alone is read in, is implied, but is not actually written. <laughs> for a teenager, however, hearing it, you take it as that that's there. So then in James 2.17, he speaks very much, you know, about works and how we are justified by works. And I just absolutely could not get my head around that. I just did not understand how somebody who was, for me, just exceptionally reformed and just loved the freedom and the grace of Romans 3.28. And, you know, we are justified by his grace. It says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And that just had set me on fire. I mean, I was like, this is amazing. I wrote my dissertation on it. I lived it. I was immersed in the historical context of the Reformation and scripture, the amazing people of faith like Tyndale and Anne Boleyn. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And then suddenly, when I was in my early 20s and looking at James, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. So now they're saying faith alone is dead. And well, that's not saved how I didn't understand like how is this happening how can it be that I'm saved by faith but faith alone is dead how do these books go together and to me James just sat apart from the rest of scripture so I did exactly what I've been saying all night not to do which was I'll just not read James and then my life is fine I'll just be justified by grace and you know I'll just have a happy life and and that's all right. But the danger that living in that world of I'm going to only read scripture that makes me comfortable is it doesn't necessarily make you active as a Christian and nor does it give you the correct outlook as a Christian. So it led me to not really do that much for the church. And I think this comes back to what Vineyard says. And I love this, like, come as you are, like, absolutely come as you are but don't stay as you are because what we're doing is putting up all these barriers that stop the holy spirit coming in and getting rid of all that bad stuff that's chained us up and being free to just do the work of christ and so it took me a long time but suddenly after many people bared with me through the lord it came to me that you know again this is fluid we come as we are we are justified in that moment but then we are saved and we become more like Christ and in our love for him we show the world who he is in the hands and feet of Jesus that's who we are by doing his works and so actually rather than Romans 3:28 battling it out with James 2:17 what he's saying is Yes, we love Jesus and this is who he is in us and this is who he is in the world through us. And so they live in one another. And so this area of scripture that just was such a hard part of my walk into coming to fully surrender to God is now a cornerstone of my faith. And so James 2.17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone is just a real strength to me on a daily basis it's not enough just to read your bible it's not enough just to go to church it's not enough to be saved and think it's okay because i'm just going to hang out here until i get a heaven 
No, the kingdom of God is near. So we expect to see it. We want to see it. We act it out because it's by our works that we show who he is. And that's my scripture. That is wonderful. I, I really, really love that. I think it, just as you're speaking and it, it, yeah, it just kind of felt like that, um, the, the, the truth that, you know, I, I think it's, it's that faith and that trust that we we're stepping out into it and, and we're believing what we're reading and, and the promises of God. And I think that, it, it, it can always be without the works, without the stepping out. We're almost just hedging our bets. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're hedging our bets and waiting till we, we pass on and thinking, yeah, hopefully, you know, it will all turn out. It'll all be okay. But it's that stepping out, isn't it? It's that stepping out that's saying, you know what? No, it's more than just hedging my bets. I'm all in. This is this is me. This is who I am. And this is what I'm working towards, that, that kingdom restoration absolutely and you know what i would say to people and i know you haven't asked this but just from your overall question is the bible is so exciting don't let people tell you what it's about take the time and read it for yourself like it's amazing look at john 11 jesus stepped out he didn't run from the fight he confronted people he confronted them with love and in the truth of who he is but it's so exciting to follow Jesus. It might be hard. <laughs> it might sometimes feel like, what am I doing? But he's always with you if you let him be. And just having the word of God with you, reassuring you, I can tell you it is the most exciting book, life-changing book that you will ever read. Thank you, Lauren. That is, that is a great part to end on i think thank you so much for your time and as we um as we kind of close on the podcast could i ask you to to pray for us all yeah thank you father son and holy spirit we thank you that you are a god of immeasurably more that you have poured your love out upon us in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray that through your spirit, each person who is listening to this podcast will taste a bit of your kingdom and the day that they listen, that they will see you, that they will hear you, that they will know you with them that their hearts will become open to you and if they are open to you more, that they will fall in love with your word again and again and again and that they will know how you sing over them. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your rule and your reign and may your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives today and always, Lord. In the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lauren, thank you so much. I just want to apologise to anyone here. We have had some a few sound issues, whether it's baby monitors. <laughs> I've had the cat outside the door meowing at me. So apologies for anything that's come <laughs> over. 
but um yeah thank you so much lauren and and thanks everyone for listening thank you so much ross for inviting me for hosting the podcast and just for being so gracious and for being so passionate about the bible and who god is you're welcome